Shall we pray? Our Father, we know that our hearts by default are self-deceived and we would rationalize and excuse our sin rather than calling it for what it is. And we thank you for the light of your word. We thank you for the working of your spirit to call us to truth and light and repentance. We pray, our Father, that we will be very aware that you are working in our hearts today, applying your word, not to crush us, not to destroy us, but to bring us to Christ and to bring us to life in him. Our Father, we ask your work among us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. Would you please open God's word with me to Joshua 7, where we read earlier, and we'll look at that again. But first, we will read Exodus 20, the 10th commandment. Exodus 20, page 61 in the Church Bible. Exodus 20, and verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Every year now for some four decades, we've taken one of the Ten Commandments. And this year, we are finishing another cycle on the Ten Commandments and we've come to the Tenth Commandment. Perhaps out of all of the commandments, the 10th commandment is most penetrating to our hearts. It shows us, reminds us that God is more interested than just our behavior. He's also interested in our hearts, our thoughts, our desires, even the inclinations of our involuntary desires. And the 10th commandment addresses all of those. There's a depth to this commandment that we don't usually appreciate. And our prayer is that the Lord would apply this to our hearts. We need all of God's commandments, but especially we need the 10th commandment because of the culture that we're living in. This culture that we're living in makes it very difficult to keep the 10th commandment. In this culture, there is no concept of sin. D.A. Carson in 201 said his greatest frustration in doing evangelism in college students was that, quote, generally college students have no idea what constitutes sin. That was 20 years ago. It's a lot worse today. And this culture, it's a culture of greed. A concept of coveting as sin sounds so strange. We have 7% of the world's population, but we consume 33% of the world's goods and services. Every year in America, 12 billion, with a B, catalogs are sent out to try to entice consumers. Average child watches 20,000 advertisements on TV every year. Our whole society has been transformed to consumer's heaven, and we're nothing if not a nation of buyers, thoroughly at home in and thoroughly a part of the life of commerce, David Wells. It wouldn't be a stretch to say that the financial crisis we were in a few years back was in large part caused by the breaking of the 10th commandment. 
Do not covet. Banks were lending to people who were living beyond their means. Institutions and individuals were investing in psychology of greed rather than sound financial principles. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that's what he will also reap. We need to hear the Tenth Commandment because of the culture we're living in. We need to hear the Tenth Commandment, too, because of the evangelical church that we're a part of. It minimizes... When Larry King was interviewing Joel Olstein, he asked Olstein if he uses the word sinners, and Olstein replied, I don't use it. I never thought about it, but I probably don't. But most people already know what they're doing is wrong. When I get them to church, I want to tell them that you can change, and Horton observed what's profoundly remarkable is that Olstein has not even thought about it. Jesus warned people of the sin of coveting and of greed more than he did of all of the sexual sins. And yet few assume that we are guilty of it. Tim Keller said we should say this could easily be a problem for me. Isn't the Tenth Commandment the one that we usually give ourselves a pass on? Everybody does that. We don't take it seriously. When you think of the sin of coveting, Is it really as serious as murder and adultery? It is. And we're not to laugh it off. So we start with the Tenth Commandment, and we'll ask ourselves two questions today. What coveting is not, and then we'll get started. What is coveting? And we'll look at one aspect of it today. We need to first draw the boundary what the sin of coveting is not, Coveting is not to have desires. It's not biblical to have no desires, to attempt to free yourself from all desires. That's Buddhism, to try to not have any external stimuli or internal passions. And Buddhism is irrational. They have a desire to be without desires. No, that's not Christianity. It is biblical to have certain legitimate desires. We are to desire and thirst for God as the deer pants for water, Psalm 42. We are to desire God above all things on earth, Psalm 73. Paul desired to depart with Christ, depart and to be with Christ, Philippians 2. Didn't he long to be further along in his spiritual growth? So he would say he's pressing on, Philippians 3. We should be discontent in that sense of where we are spiritually. We are to desire and thirst for God. That's legitimate. It's legitimate to desire the growth of God's glory and the church of Jesus Christ. The church is to covet the best gifts, 1 Corinthians 12, 31. The Tenth Commandment is not asking for less coveting. It's asking for the coveting of the right things. We are to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and mind. Ed Clowney writes, We are to covet Christ's mighty work among the nations and the glory of his coming again and resurrection power and judgment. Jesus himself shows us the passion of such service as the zeal of God's house consumes his heart. We are to desire the growth and the glory of Christ's church. Third, we're to desire gain and improvement in our lives. Proverbs 24, 27, there's a place for ambition and desire for profit, free enterprise. The plans of the diligent lead to plenty, Proverbs 13, 4. Even in the parable of the talents, Christ rewards initiative, faithful work. 
It's good to want to get a better education, to improve your skills, to take care of your property, to make wise investments, to work at better health, even better athletic ability, even to desire to break records. Godly Joseph advised Pharaoh to store up grain for future use, Genesis 41. Solomon says, go to the ant. He stores up for winter by storing up in summer, Proverbs as parents save up for their children, 2 Corinthians 12. We don't believe it's biblical, the lifestyle of the Mennonite and the Amish, not to want modern conveniences, just simply live on a simple life, and everything else is worldliness, everything else is coveting. Even some well-meaning Christians have opposed advances in medicine, not realizing God's common grace Some objected to Sir James Simpson's use of chloroform to assist in childbirth in the 19th century. It's not sin of coveting to have nice things. Proverbs 15, 6, in the house of the righteous, there is much treasure. That was a verse that helped a woman struggling over whether it was wrong for her to have nice china. Somehow she was thinking the Christian's call is just to live in a functional, minimal way and give the rest away. Don't we pray for God to bless the work of our hands, Psalm 90? And therefore we strive to better our circumstances, better our world, trying to excel, never tire in doing good. There's a fourth desire, and that's we are to enjoy the God-given desires and appetites just as creatures. And so the scripture speaks well of enjoying a food, the need of sleep, Scripture speaks of high, exalted terms of sexual desires and love in marriage. We may long for children. We appreciate beauty. We want to be loved. We want to be safe. The body is good. With God-created desires, and those desires are to be enjoyed in balance and within boundaries, but those desires are not sinful. In fact, the Scripture says to suppress the body and its desires is the sin of asceticism. It does not glorify God. First Timothy 4.2, they're liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God has created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and by prayer. It's biblical to have legitimate desires to thirst for God, for the glory of Christ's church, for gain and improvement in our lives, to enjoy God-given desires. And fifth, we're to desire the things were better in this broken world, and we pray that Christ would return. Romans 8, we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Come, Lord Jesus. Contentment is not to pretend that all is ideal now, all is right, that things can't be improved, that we don't feel pain, that we don't feel trouble, we don't feel injustice, we do. But the Christian knows that even though we have a sense this world is not what it should be, this is a broken world, it's under God's sovereignty and it has an end point in the glorious return of Jesus Christ. So with all these desires we need to remember that there is a legitimate place for the desires that God has given to us. They are not the breaking of the 10th commandment. 
So can a Christian go on strike to better his contract? Is that the breaking of the Tenth Commandment? Well, if negotiations break down, you're assuming that the requests are legitimate. Is it ever right to strike? On the one hand, you have the scriptures where Jesus said that the soldier was to be content with his wages. Ephesians tells us even slaves are to work for their masters as unto the Lord, even unjust masters. But living in a free market where it's legitimate and lawful to try to change or better yourself, there could be a time to strike that is not the sin of coveting. And we at least need to give one another that freedom of conscience. What is the sin of coveting? It is not to have desires. There's a place for legitimate desires. But then that raises the question, but but where's that line? Where's that line between what's a legitimate desire to better your situation, to excel, to do your best, but now you've crossed over into the sin of coveting? Where's that line between window shopping, enjoying new clothes, seeing the new models of cars this year, new tools, watching the home improvement programs and seeing what's new and remodeling and how we could improve our home. Where's the line between enjoying beauty and falling into sin? The scriptures help us. They give us two answers to that question of what is coveting, and we'll look at one today and, Lord willing, one next Sunday. The first part of that definition, what is coveting, Coveting is to desire what God forbids. And God has the right to set those boundaries. He doesn't ask our opinion where those lines should be drawn. But the concept of sin, the concept of God even having the right to define sin, is so foreign in this world. David Wells, again, encouraged to be Protestant, observes that today, evil or sin is purely privatized. It's simply what is bad for me and what is bad in only the way things feel or look, not as they are in their own moral nature. Only 17% of Americans define sin in relation to God. For the overwhelming majority, sin is a trivial matter. It's, but sin is not defined by our inner feelings. It's not defined by your conscience. It's, sin is not defined by what you feel you can do. Sin is not defined by what you f- feel that you can't do. Sin is not defined by your truth. Sin is always wrong. It's wrong to me. It's wrong to all. It's wrong to everyone, everywhere, because sin is measured by the Bible. It's measured by God's moral truth. Sin is measured by the holy, righteous law of God. God's moral law is the holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good, Romans seven twelve. God's moral law is a moral absolute. Thou shalt not covet. He sets the boundary and he alone has the right to set those boundaries. And God has defined the boundary of coveting as desiring what he forbids. It started with Adam and Eve, didn't it? God's boundary. This one tree out of all the trees in the garden you can freely eat but this one tree is off limits. 
And yet they coveted the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, coveted and took and ate. How serious is the sin of coveting? Well, it's the sin of coveting that led to the fall of the whole human race. And therefore, it's the very very default of our sinful nature for all of us to think that we can think and feel that we should have more or different than what God has designed or what has he ordained for us. It's illustrated in a very clear way in Achan, isn't it, in Joshua 7. Joshua 7, and we have the record of the sin of Achan and his coveting and the consequences. The backstory, of course, is chapter 6. Jericho and all of its spoils was to be dedicated to the Lord. It was the first city in the new land that God was giving, and so this time, all the spoils were be to given to the Lord as first fruits, as a tithe of the land. Joshua six nineteen. Spoils are not wrong in themselves. In fact, they could take the spoils of Ai. But this one city, the first city, everything was to be devoted to the Lord as first fruits. And then we come to Joshua seven twenty, and there we read. And Achan answered Joshua, Truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and took them. And see, they're hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. He saw this magnificent robe. And gold and silver, a mantle of Shinar. Shinar's in Babylon. Babylon at this time was not a great military power, but it was, the, it was a mark of prestige. High style. There are things, there are labels that you know, this is, this is pricey. This is high style. A Cadillac, a Lincoln, a Jaguar. He saw a designer suit. A Babylonian suit. And this was all going to be destroyed and burned up. I I want that robe. He coveted. He took. And he hid. He thought he had it hid. But God saw it all. God has the right to set and define the boundaries. He defines the boundaries as sinful coveting, and God will judge the sin of coveting. The sin of coveting brought God's judgment upon the whole nation. They were defeated in Ai, and there were 30-some deaths. And when Joshua and the elders pleaded with the Lord, why did this happen? God said, it's very clear. Achan has coveted and taken from what was to be the first fruits from Jericho, and God required his death. And you read that he was stoned with his family. When you read of his death, how does that make you feel about God? Was that difficult to read? We won't see 
Achan's death sentence for coveting as we should unless we know the holiness of God. And the standard has not changed. God's word says that coveting is sin against God and it cannot be minimized, it cannot be excused away. This is the sin that brought Christ to his death, wasn't it? It was the coveting of Judas, 30 pieces of silver, delivered Christ to be crucified. God's word is clear, Ephesians 5, 3, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as proper among saints. It's that serious. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous has no inheritance in the kingdom of God and of Christ. Do you believe that? What is the sin of coveting? Well, it's, first of all, to desire what God forbids. The Tenth Commandment is to show us our sin, isn't it? None of us can keep God's moral law. It's rightly been said that whenever we break any of the first of the nine commandments, we've also broken the tenth. And if we break any of the Ten Commandments and any of God's law just in one, we've become guilty of them all. James 2.10, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. No one can possibly imagine that you would be accepted before God and led into his heaven by the answer, well, I keep the Ten Commandments. You don't have a clue. The Ten Commandments are to show us that we cannot ever merit the righteousness of Christ. Tenth Commandment was what God the Holy Spirit used in the conversion of Saul. You remember Romans 7. He thought he was pretty good until it was the Tenth Commandment. You shall not covet. That was his undoing. He understood for the first time in his life that he was a sinner and his sin was systemic throughout his whole being. He was bankrupt. That's the purpose of God's moral law, that we despair in ourselves of ever being good enough to stand before God in our self-righteousness and our good works. David Wells writes, if we begin to see the nature of sin, we are on the right road back into reality. We are on our way back into the presence of God through Christ. It's not that the knowledge of sin alone suffices, but rather that it pushes us to seek our deliverance from it. Knowing about sin is therefore vital knowledge. There are none quite so lost as those who know little or nothing of their sin. Knowing about our sin, therefore, is something for which we should be deeply grateful. Let us not mince words. If we could see more clearly God in his, the full blaze of his burning purity, we would not be on easy terms with all the sins that now infect our souls and breed easy compromises with the spirit of the postmodern age. This is what leads to the casual ways in which we live our lives with the blatantly wrong priorities. If we could see this more clearly... The church would be filled with much more repentance and, in consequence, much more joy and much more authenticity.
Every time we break one of the ninth com- other nine commandments, we are also breaking the tenth commandment. It's that critical. Every time we want the approval of man instead of the approval of God, we're breaking the tenth commandment. Every time we're drawn into the world and agree with the opinions of unsaved friends and family, contrary to Christ, we break the tenth commandment. Every time we lust, every time we desire to honor the creature rather than the creator, we break the tenth commandment. Every time we're frustrated, impatient, angry because we didn't get our own way, we're breaking the tenth commandment. Every time we're jealous, every time we're envious, every time we're controlling, every time we're sinfully competitive, we break the tenth commandment. It is not a small, inconsequential commandment. The breaking of the tenth commandment, do not covet, it affects whole societies, it affects institution, it affects the world banking markets, it ruins lives, it destroys relationships, it embitters hearts. James says it leads nations to war. But even in a far greater way, it is a sin against God, and it is evidence for an all-holy God's eternal judgment. You will not inherit the kingdom of God. The Tenth Commandment is to show us our sin. The Tenth Commandment, then, is to show us our Savior. Remember, the subtext of the whole Bible is God's coming to the rescue. You cannot redeem yourself. The Tenth Commandment is to show us that clearly, above all things, you cannot redeem yourself. You need a Savior. We are saved by grace. We're not saved by performance. And God's law is to drive us to Christ for grace, to despair of our own self-righteousness. The law tells us what we must do and what we haven't done. The gospel tells us what Christ has done. Christ has paid for all of our sins. When we read the 10th commandment, do not covet, we realize that we need a cleansing for sin far deeper than we ever imagined. We need a cleansing for sin far deeper than behaviors or words or even thoughts. We need cleansing from even our sinful desires. And Christ has paid for that. And it shows us how fully he's obeyed for us. Never once did he sinfully desire anything contrary to God's word. And that perfect record of his obedience is the surety of the new covenant. That's what's covering you, believer, as you stand before God. And while he will never reject you, the Tenth Commandment is to show us our Savior. Will you let the Tenth Commandment bring you to Christ today? And bring you to Christ today in a new way of repentance. Repentance that's deeper than behavior and thoughts and words, but even to desires and even to the thinking that we could set our own boundaries. Horton writes, we all need today a fresh encounter with God's law in its full force. God's law is not a list of suggestions. The law is an expression of God's own glory, his moral character. If God's voice of law does not decenter us, throw us off balance, and judge our best efforts as having fallen short of God's glory, we will never flee to Christ as our mediator greater than Moses. Come to Christ in repentance. Come to Christ in faith. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin, even the sins of coveting. And know that full forgiveness. And will you let the Tenth Commandment today bring you to God the Holy Spirit? 
He is the one that gives us both the willing and the doing of God's good pleasure. He is the one who's promised that he will carry on to completion the work that he has begun in us. And you pray every day for the God, the Holy Spirit, to create more and more in us the likeness of Christ. To put away more and more of the coveting and more and more to covet after our greatest treasure, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then, depending upon the work of the Holy Spirit, put to death all of our sinful deeds and desires. May we deal with that sin of coveting as soon as we are aware that's germinated in our hearts and confess it and flee from it. God's word tells us, you shall not covet. Shall we pray? Father in heaven, thank you for the truth of your word. It was not pleasant to look at it. And we've looked at it as as looking in a mirror and we've seen our sin and may we not leave and forget what we've seen. May we be diligent more and more to apply your word to our lives by the help of your Holy Spirit depending only upon him to work that grace in us. Make us more and more sensitive to where we're getting our standards and where we're drawing the lines and we're not letting the world press us into its mold but that we are looking only to your word to tell us what is right and and wrong. Forgive us, our Father, in the blood of Jesus Christ for our many, many sins, even those first sins of desiring which you have forbidden. We thank you for the blood of Christ that cleanses us from all sin. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.